But in the third hour today, Robert Metz, Jeff Schlemmer are here. Welcome to both of you. Morning, Jim. Morning. Uh, this program is called Left, Right, and Center because uh, quite often uh, my two guests will square off nose to nose over an issue and I try to be somewhere in the middle, but that doesn't always happen. Today, I want to take advantage of having them here because they are both thoughtful and well-informed individuals and I want to uh, look for their thoughts on a government initiative. And I'm not, I don't know whether they're going to agree or disagree and that's not the point today, but I do want to take advantage of their their intellectual abilities, if I can put it that way. That way, there's a big uh, full-page ad in some of the papers today. Um, I don't know how many papers across Canada, but at least two that I've seen. Uh, Gathering strength is the theme of it, and that's Canada's Aboriginal Action Plan. I don't know if you've seen the ad or not, but it is. Uh, it contains the statement of reconciliation that you heard about that the government issued. Uh, I don't know how long ago now, a month or so ago, perhaps where the government uh, uh, acknowledges a lot of things that, that they believe they've done wrong. Um, they take responsibility for a lot of the things that have gone wrong with Canada's First Nations people. Um, what can I... I don't want to read the whole thing to you. What can I do? Um, well, just the comments like the assistance and spiritual values of the Aboriginal peoples who welcome newcomers to this continent too often have been forgotten contributions made by all Aboriginal peoples to Canada's development have not been properly acknowledged. Uh, our history with respect to the treatment of Aboriginal people is not something in which we can take pride. Attitudes of racial and cultural superiority led to a suppression of Aboriginal culture and values. Um, and then they go on to say uh, the government acknowledges the role it played in the development of administration of the uh, residential schools and what a horror story that was. Uh, and basically it calls for Reconciliation. It also says things like, not in the statement, but in the ad, um, conditions in Aboriginal communities generally are much worse than those of their non-Aboriginal neighbors. Many Aboriginal communities lack the appropriate institutions, resources, and expertise needed to deal effectively with such serious problems as the rates of infant mortality, youth suicide, unemployment, dependence on social assistance, which are higher than the national average, and they sure are. They're way, way, way higher. Um, and it's basically a call to action for Canadians. So I thought today, and, and again, I'm not trying to, to pit Bob in, against Jeff on this or anything. I'm not sure that this is a, an issue that, that, that calls for that or where that's appropriate. But I do want to ask both of you, from your extensive experience uh, in the community, talking to people, thinking about political solutions to the problems in our country and so on. Um, this idea that Canada now officially has said, we're very, very sorry for everything that's happened. And we're going to make it up to you. Is this a positive step forward? Many people, even in the Native communities, have said, no, it's just another band-aid Well, by first the thing I was thinking when I was listening to what you were saying about the ad is, where's the bottom line? Where, where is the actual action the government is planning to take? It sounds like a big feel-good uh, statement of reconciliation. Oh, shucks, we were bad guys and all this. And well, you're going to like this then, because here's the how. Oh, and I'm good. quoting, the heart of the action plan, you're going to love oh, this, boy. brace yourself, is a commitment to address the needs of communities by building real partnerships with Aboriginal people, including the development of mechanisms to recognize sustainable and accountable Aboriginal governments and institutions. Oh boy, more government, more levels of government, more bureaucracy, more stuff that nobody needs. Uh, that's where we're going. You know, here it comes back to culture, race, values, um, you know, history. It's, it's, it's back to this political correctness that, that they're selling to every minority group in the country. Was it wrong for the government, uh, Jeff, to, to stand up and do what many people have been, on both sides have been asking them to do for decades and say, well, you know, yes, officially we screwed up? 
Was it wrong for them to do that? No, and, and it's not wrong for two reasons. One is that uh, it is something that has been called for, and uh, it surprised me how often in disputes uh, with people it comes down to feelings, you know, and even, even commercial litigation where it's sort of like big companies fighting it out, often it comes down to who feels wronged by who and has that person had their, uh, had their um, yeah, has there been an apology, has there been some way of saying, I still respect you, I think you're a decent person. Um, that's a good reason to do it. The other good reason is that it doesn't cost anything, frankly. Just to say this. Yeah. But the implication is it's going to cost us a lot because now they've, now they've made some concrete promises that, you know, they've been promises and promises and promises. Now they've made concrete promises in 1998. We're not talking about, about treaties that were abrogated 100 years ago or treaties that were broken 75 years ago or treaties that were uh, weaseled out of the Indians 200 years ago. Now in 1998, they're saying, hey, we screwed up, we're sorry, we're going to fix it. Well, and that's, that's sort of a continuation of where things have been going in the last 30 years, I guess, that uh, until 30 years ago, natives uh, couldn't press land claims. And uh, at, at that point, it was recognized that maybe we should, should let them do that and we should wade into that. Um, this statement may be sort of a focusing of, of uh, a direction they've been going in. But on the other hand, uh, under the Liberal government, and this is from the Liberal, Liberal government, there hasn't really been a groundswell of movement. They've been the government now for five years uh, going on, and uh, things haven't really accelerated as far as claims settlement, as far as self-government and so on. Now, there's a new minister. Uh, Ron Irwin had been the minister before, although he was a pretty energetic guy and uh, uh, certainly was out and about finding out what was going on and stuff. Uh, Jane Stewart's the new minister. Uh, there's some perception that things may speed up a bit more under her, but the, the Kretchen government's not racing to change in dramatic ways the way we deal with Native issues. She's a very sharp pencil, though, Jane Stewart. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's a very, very bright lady. Well, I think one of the bright lights in the Liberal Party. And very, very uh, knowledgeable in political matters as well. Of course, her dad was the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Bob Nixon. Yeah. Do, we, uh, um, do we accept this statement here? Uh, it seems to me that by that I'm going to read the statement again. It seems to me they're saying it's our fault. Conditions in Aboriginal communities are much worse than than those of their non-Aboriginal neighbors, and they lack appropriate institutions, resources, and expertise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I guess the question that pops to mind is whose fault is that? Um, and I'm certainly I'm not native bashing for a moment, but we have been giving the natives a lot of money over the years. We've bought about six billion dollars a year, I believe it is now. Um, a lot of people say it's, it's not working very well, is it? Where either it's not getting to them, or they're not using it properly, or something's something's wrong here. Uh, Robert, what, what, why are the conditions so bad? In, the, in, in not in all native communities, because some are doing quite well, but in many of them, is it that we've destroyed their culture? We've destroyed their their system of government? Because we certainly have. We 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 made their system of government illegal and replaced it with this elected band council business. Well, I, I don't think anyone set out to destroy anyone's culture, but I think that when you create a special status and set yourself aside from the greater society in which you live in, you're isolating yourself, and you're setting yourself up for stagnation, which is all that a government can offer a culture. Either a culture lives and breathes and carries on and changes from day to day, or on a specific day we say, okay, that's this culture, it is henceforth legislated, and it will never change again. And that's the only thing that a government can offer to a culture is stagnation of that culture, and that kills a culture. So everything that we do in the name of culture is a death blow to culture when we do it through government because it, it 
you know, you have to stick to these old ways of doing things. That's what people think of in culture. Nobody thinks of culture as being like what we just saw at the Academy the Awards the other night or what we see in our day-to-day -day life or our or the electricity in our house or the or the wonderful inventions and things that have been learned over the last 200 years in science and technology. That's all part of what I call culture. And uh but when government speaks of culture, it speaks of a very narrow range of it, generally relate, relating to things that re, relate to uh, to race or origin of, of nationality, which to me does not define a, a person. Although in this case, and I, and I think there's been a, a strong effort to get away from it, initially we did set out to destroy their culture. There's no question about it. That's what the residential schools were for uh, at the time. It, it, they were banned from speaking their own language. They were banned from practicing their own religion. As Jim has mentioned, their government was replaced by a system well, of government all, that was imposed on schooling are, are indoctrination, okay, all forms, even our white so-called culture. Uh, our schools indoctrinate just as, as any school would that's run by the government, and it will indoctrinate well, we have the choice, values so. of that government. We can elect a school board. We have a choice as far as how our kids get elected. That we have you no a theoretical input into their curriculum That's and so on. <laughs> <laughs> but the, Very theoretical. But the aboriginals didn't even have the theoretical opportunity. No. And, and granted, that's, uh, that's an evil that was done to them, but it's no worse than what we're doing to ourselves. But you know what sums up for me the difference between the way that uh, the reserves are today and the way the rest of us are? And that's that shooting uh, a couple of days ago in that reserve where the, uh, the RCMP officer went in to uh, take, uh, take a child away or take some children away from a mom on a reserve and took a shotgun with him. And to me, I'm just thinking, how in the world or why in the world would you take a shotgun to a situation where you know there's a half a dozen little kids? And if it was a situation where you're going to take somebody away from a mall or a bank, for instance, would you take a shotgun? Well, uh, I'll tell you one thing. The state troopers in the U.S. took their shotguns to homes where parents would keep their kids home from schools in the past and ended up killing the parents and or the kids. It's not an unprecedented thing. But if it happened when, in a mall, I bet you there would be a much broader outcry today than there has been. Uh, like to me, and, and I don't know the story, and we'll have to see what happened there, and I'm sure it's... You know, it's extremely difficult when you're in that situation, but a shotgun shoots a broad area, and they're going to hit some kids. Well, not necessarily. I don't know what kind of load they were in there. there uh, different shotgun loads do different things. They're not, it's not necessarily full of scattershot. So, like you, I don't know what happened. There. Yeah, but to me, the type of weapon is less, is less instructive than the fact that the officer obviously felt he needed to have a weapon with him, and that's mm -hmm. kind of frightening. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and again, to me, that sums up the difference between the two situations. Uh, again, if this was a, uh, uh, a situation where it was, well, a typical mall. Mall is where our culture sits today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you walk in there with, with guns to a situation where you're trying to take a kid away, that's, that's something that would cause a lot of interest, a lot more than a reserve. And, and uh, you know, from different perspectives, we see it's just a very different place today. I think that's that, bad. I think maybe that's the key. We would not expect, which is not to say that it wouldn't happen because it has happened. I'm sure we don't expect when a, when a, a representative of the law goes to take a child away that the representative will be met with gunfire. That that's not the it's not the norm certainly in our society. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to pause for a moment here. Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety is our Cantel cellular number. Uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us today. This is Left, Right, and Center, and we're taking a look together. And by, by sense we're not none of us are really disagreeing. We're taking a look together and, and trying to. Uh, uh, I guess to come to some sort of consensus as to whether this plan will work or how it might be made to work on the gathering strength program of your federal government to, uh, uh, to join, to bring together, and this is what they want to do, Aboriginal people, the government of Canada, provincial and territorial governments, the private sector, and Canadians as a whole. Is this going to work? What do you think? 643 
Left, right, and center is what we call this portion of the program. It's a show or a part of the show in which we take a look at issues of the day from different political perspectives. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, my guests. Um, during the break, Bob just had a chance to go over this gathering strength because neither Bob or Jeff had, had had the opportunity to read it before, and you said something very interesting to me was when you finished. Well, I, I said it was a slap in the face to the Aboriginal people of this country. Um, it, it sets up an impossible scenario. It starts at the beginning by talking about working, working together on our, quote, shared goals without identifying one of those goals. And it seems to suggest that the difference with the new effort of the government is that this time we're going to allow Aboriginals to participate in the process, as if to imply in the past that they weren't allowed to participate. But the Aboriginals' point of view has to be included along with the government of Canada, the provincial and territorial governments, the private sector, and the public. So do you really think they're going to get anything they want? Uh, through a compromise like that, no one gets what they want. Everyone gets not what they want, and it's going to dissatisfy every one of those groups because groups just don't work together like that. Well, there was uh, a lot of complaining from the uh, from the Aboriginal community about this thing. I believe Phil Fontaine eventually, uh, I believe, I'm not positive, but memory serves, Phil Fontaine finally kind of said, okay, and thank you for doing this, now let's get on with the program. But certainly when this was released, there were a lot of stories in the, in the news and on the news wires about Aboriginal leaders across the country saying just what you've said, that this is, this is a joke. I, I, I'm I'm stunned looking at it. It, it, it. And on top of that, it portrays, again, a very negative image of the native peoples of this country. And it, and it says, uh, you guys live in terrible old conditions. We're going to fix it for you. To me, I say you treat the native people of this country as an equal, and you help those who want to help themselves and who want to change their conditions and give them the opportunities and what is required for them to take action to fix their own situation, which is very difficult to do from special in, status. Are you then in favor of, of what many Aboriginals are calling for, which is self-government? They want to be able to run their own little enclaves in the same sense as, uh, my understanding is in many cases, a parallel to municipal government with the same kinds of autonomies and so on that municipal governments would have. It, I have no problem with the idea of a municipal government status set up, but the status they have now is very different. And, um, you know, often I hear the word self-government, that's something, uh, when, when other people hear it, they feel that they don't even have the right to self-government. Like, I, I figure every individual has a right to govern himself, and the government steps in when you step out of line, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, any kind of consensual agreement where people actually vote and consent to be governed by a certain body, how am I going to argue with that? But what we have today is far removed from that, and, and I see a tremendous resistance on both sides, both from the Native community and from the governments of Canada. Now, Jeff, you just had a chance to, to quickly read it. What's your overall impression? Uh, well, my first impression, actually, is that it's been written by a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of language surprise, in here. Surprise, surprise. Well, that's why it doesn't say anything. <laughs> okay. It's a whole page that doesn't say that much. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I guess what, one aspect of it, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with what Bob talks about, and that is the danger of being patronizing and coming across and saying, uh, you know, you guys can't look after yourselves. We screwed up. Now we'll fix it, uh, which would be the worst kind of scenario. And and yeah, however, we'll, and we'll let you say, give your say, and in you some know, token, we way. might listen to you. Right. Um, on the other hand, though, the, the part that is encouraging for me is, is uh, and again, this is nothing new, but uh, the government acknowledging that there are some things like self-government that may not be such a bad idea. And uh, I think a lot of people don't 
uh, aren't that familiar with the existing system, and I'm not that familiar with it either, but I gather that reserves are basically still largely controlled by the federal government, and mm-hmm. that any expenditure over a certain amount of money has to be approved by some bureaucrat in Ottawa. They can't lift a finger without some bureaucrat uh, agreeing to it. And to me, that's just a horrible way to run a railroad. And uh, uh, aside from my left-wing leanings, I think that having government micromanage anything like that would just be an extremely expensive, bad idea. So to the extent they're trying to get away from that, that would seem like a, a extremely good thing. Um, the other thing that, that this doesn't really get into, I guess this is more dealing with residential schools and stuff, but the other issue is the land claim one. We've talked before about how, from my perspective, that's a matter of contract law, and that is that... Uh, in Canada, agree with you there. in Canada, you know, the natives were always on our side in every conflict. We've never had a war with them. We've never defeated them. Um, they've been our buds, and we've signed contracts with them over the years and promptly reneged on them, and we have to move on with dealing with that. Uh, and that's probably, well, I, I shouldn't say probably, but I suspect that that's uh, something that's more, much more interesting to the native community than this, this uh, ad is. Jeff, let me ask you, because you are a lawyer, let me ask you about... Uh, um, how we deal with 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 broken contracts from a century or more ago um, certainly there are certain truisms in the common law that you know the law is the law is the law uh, there are also statute of limit, statutes of limitations on s- some areas and so on people would say there should be no statute of limitations on moral issues um, from a lawyer's perspective can we should we simply live up to the treaties that are there because obviously we can't do that we we rip this country apart if we if we live up to all the terms of all the treaties how do we how do we pick and choose then what we are going to honor and what we're not well i guess one of the one of the realities is that these things are going to be settled out of court um, because to litigate all the claims would be uh, so expensive and would take forever uh... that that uh, minds working together will conclude that a better way to do it is by out-of-court settlement. And one of the factors in an out-of-court settlement is always the ability to pay on the part of uh, the person who's going to be paying. So nobody, in fact, uh, I don't think there's any, um, what they're saying is, we recognize that, there, that we have a legal claim here that's got some value. We've had some hard times since then because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Um, let's look at what we can do to be compensated for that. And one of the elements of compensation may be things like, for instance, uh, we've talked about the self-government what that might mean that uh, may be some analogy to uh, to a municipal government it may be things like for instance with provincial parks where they've talked about saying um, let us run the provincial park or you know it's our land but government you can run it but give us some rent or whatever there's all kinds of creative things that uh, that they've talked about doing um, that's that's realistically what is meant to my understanding by settling land claims they're not saying give us young street Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the Cantel. If you've got a question or a comment, we invite you to join us at those telephone numbers. Left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we go to the phones now, where David is joining us. Good morning, David. Good morning, Jim. Yes, How sir. Are you doing? Fine, thank you. Uh, this thing with the Indians, and uh, I would like to know what the Indians think Canadians owe them. Uh, I feel I'm as much an in, or a native as an Indian. I, I was born in this country. Yeah. Uh, and this thing out uh, with Indians out in the reserve in uh, in Alberta. What did they expect that that woman come out there with a gun? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know the you details know, of that. They're not either. telling the truth here. But David, I, I I do have a bit of an answer for you. You say, well, what do they expect? Uh, and because we've had uh, representatives of the First Nations on the show before, they would like the government of Canada to live up to the contracts it signed. That's that's what they want. Well, how long ago were these contracts signed? Well, does that matter? Well, I think it does. In, in, in what way? If, if, if someone signed a contract with you 
50 years ago and then 45 years ago decided because they had the power to do so that they were going to ignore the contract. And now 45 years later, the climate has changed, the laws have changed, and you, David, you've got some money so you can hire a good lawyer. Would you still buy the argument that because it was 45 years ago that they screwed you that you can't do anything today? Well, I, I wouldn't wait 45 years for somebody to screw me. Well, you didn't have, no, but the, 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 the point is here, they didn't have the opportunity to do anything about it. The government legally prevented them from doing anything about it. Well, then, uh, we're kind of stupid for uh, voting them kind of people into power, aren't we? Well, there's no question about that. These guys couldn't vote. <laughs> no, they didn't vote, man. We did, and, you know, do we not have to be responsible for the governments we elect? Well, that depends who they are. Well, <laughs> you know, we elected them. You know, well, the... Yeah, that, that's the Joe public. But the thing is, that we should all be in the system. I mean, I, I, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not that old, eh? Mm -hmm, yeah. and I wasn't around when my ancestors and your ancestors were come over here and did what they did. And I don't know what trees were signed, but mm -hmm. the thing is, we, we, we have to live here together and we ought to get along. But, you know, I'm not trying to make light of this, and I understand exactly what you're saying, but, but there, there are some really specific... Legal. I don't mean legal, and that only lawyers could discuss, discuss them. But some some issues with great legal importance here, and one of them would be okay. You and I weren't here. We didn't did the, we didn't do this. Say for example that 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 uh, somebody owed you a large sum of money, and they died, and their heirs said, "Well, I wasn't there. I didn't sign the deal. I don't owe you any money." Well, I guess if they had money, we'd have to go to court and try to get it. That's what the Indians want to do. I mean, the thing is, I'd like to know. I'd like to ask these people in, the, in 50 years ago when the war was on, why why is it still going on? Why didn't they give the land back to them after? Uh, and that's a great question, and there's no. no good answer for that. The government screwed up again. Yeah. Now, David, thank you for your thoughts okay, today. Good Jim, to hear bye. from you. Bye bye. And John joins us. Hi, John. Morning, Jim. There's two books that I read all oh, quite a number of years ago. I must be going back 20 years. And one was a sequel to the other, written by Bernowski. You remember the gentleman? I'm not sure that I do. One was entitled The Ascent of Man. Oh, yes, yes. And the other one was The Descent of Man. Yeah. And it would seem that given what is transpiring today, we are in that regression of, of descent. I always think of Hubbard with respect to promises and commitments and, and, and things like that that are made by those who are empowered to make them mm -hmm. and then choose not to keep them. Yeah. And he puts it like this. Persons of integrity are those who, having made a promise, given a commitment or assurance, keeps them to those who can't enforce them. Yeah. And it would seem that the, the, the situation with the natives is they're the people who have not been able, up until the legal system assisted them, to enforce the promises, commitments, and assurances. That's exactly the truth. Is, would both you gentlemen agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, although, yeah. although we should also take credit ourselves. You know, we've elected governments who have been willing to entertain these things that I think, I think we're better in that respect than we were 40 years ago. Uh, exactly. Unfortunately, there's another old saying which goes like this. A stone once hurled can never be recalled. And given that we have this uh, psych psychosis that exists today, I often think to myself, maybe, and this is only a personal opinion, that maybe Judgment Day is upon us, the iniquities of the fathers, upon the children. 
I guess we'll find out, won't we, John? But uh, I think judgment. Day but uh, leaving day. religion out of it, because I don't look at it in a religious way. Yeah. I'm merely pointing out what transpires as far as education. Yeah. We educate the children, but the children become the educators. So they follow along the lines and the manner in which they've been educated, right or wrong. Yeah, John, thanks for the call. Well, uh, just one more well, quickly. Uh, comment. All right. Do you remember those kids that were shot and killed in B.C. in a truck by the RCMP? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And you remember your comment to me with the greatest respect was that what I had said was merely hindsight? Mm -hmm. Now then, surely... There's a great difference, Jim, with the greatest of respect. We can have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't have any understanding, that knowledge is not worth two pittance. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate situation, they're identical. Somebody has acted without considering the situation now, what, I mean, uh, or having some understanding. You've lost me Why here. a police officer, mm -hmm. no matter what force he belongs to, yeah. Why they would go and exercise this machoism, how shall we say, um, underwritten by the fact that they have a gun. Well, John, I don't know enough about it to make a comment. Well, Jim, one can make a comment is there is a family dispute. Well, I don't know that that's. I don't know that that's what it was, John. I don't know that that's what it was. So you know, I can't comment. I can't discuss it with you because I don't know any of the details. I'm talking about the incident. Give some thought to it, Jim. Well, Give I don't, some thought John, to it. You've I, got a police officer. John, I don't know the, the John, I don't know the details and I, I try to refrain whenever possible from making up my mind or making statements about things on which I'm uninformed. So I can't have this discussion with you today. Perhaps tomorrow well, or when I more know, information it's a sensitive comes forward. Subject and people don't like to discuss no, it's, sensitive it's subjects. Nothing to do with sensitive. I don't know the details, so I'm not gonna comment. I don't do that. John, appreciate your call, sir. Um I don't know, he wants to talk. I don't know, I don't know enough about it to talk, folks. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, I don't have an opinion. I don't know. 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel. And we're coming back right after this. You're listening to Talk of the Temple. That's right in the center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. We're talking about this, uh, uh, this healing, what do they call it again? The, uh, the gathering strength, the government's new program to... Uh, to, I don't know, to do something to the Aboriginals or with the Aboriginals. Jeff, I want to come back to a comment you made earlier about uh, uh, one of the principles or tenets or guidelines in the law is the ability to pay when somebody is being sued. Um, who ultimately is going to make the decision here? Is this a decision that, and you mentioned because it's out of court, is this essentially then between just the two parties, it's kind of an extra-legal or super-legal proceeding where the two parties agree that the, the contract is unenforceable as it exists. However, because it's unenforceable doesn't mean that it does not have validity and we're going to try to arrive at, a, at, a, at a, an updated version. Is that essentially what's going to happen? Well, it may, although the law is evolving and uh, the, the main reason that, uh, that uh, claims have been... Uh, when you talk about them being unenforceable, the main reason for that to this point has been the, the limitation periods that you talked about. And there's been some erosion in that law in the last several years. But people have said, well, um, there's, there's case law dealing with native issues from 100 years ago. Those are still the leading cases. There was a prominent decision of uh, the Chief Justice in British Columbia, um, must be oh, going on 10 years ago now, where he had said that. And he's, that's when we used the Thomas Hobbes expression that uh, life for the natives was short, sharp, and brutish, mm -hmm. sort of unconsciously seeming not to realize that no, Hobbes was 
talking about Europeans of that era. <laughs> but anyway, um, there has been some erosion of that uh, legal principle. Uh, we've seen limitations falling away. They've certainly fallen, aw fallen away in relation to uh, sexual assaults. Uh, we're seeing now that uh, it used to be that you couldn't go back and charge somebody for a sexual assault that took place uh, 30 years ago or whatever, but now you can. Uh, and uh, that, that sort of thing is happening with native claims as well. And if that continues to evolve, a day may come when they're saying, well, they may say they are perfectly enforceable. However, who will ultimately decide at this point is the federal government for the most part. There, there's some involvement of provinces in some specific types of claims, um, like the Upper Wash one, for instance. Uh, provincial governments are, are responsible for crown land uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, so there are parties to negotiations. Um, but ultimately, it comes back to the federal government as having been the government you know, when this was uh, going on, although there are even legal, legal wrinkles there, because of course, prior to 1867, there's an argument that there was no federal government, there was no Canada, uh, and in fact, that the people should be negotiating with, uh, with uh, Britain, um, although that doesn't seem to have really gone that far. Bob, I want to ask you, because you've made the point in the program a number of times about the, uh, your belief in the absolute sanctity of property rights. Mm -hmm. um, does this cause you some difficulties then in, in coming to grips with the fact that it would appear that the natives do have clear legal title, at least they did at the time, to vast tracts of Canada, today tracts that, as Jeff said, we simply can't give back to them and are not going to give back well, to them. Well, this, this actually raises a point. You know, despite what I've already said about, uh, about we have to live up to our contracts, I think that without knowing the details of each and every individual contract, we can't really speak to the validity of the contract. And older contracts do wear in terms of their validity. For example, the last home I bought, I built on a piece of land. And if you go by the, uh, the survey, it shows, shows that I owned this, that, and the other thing. But my neighbor had an encroachment. I couldn't get that back even though it was on my land, quote. I had to allow that encroachment to the neighbor because of the, the use to which the land was put in the meantime and the fact that, that it was accepted as such. No one objected. There was no, no, nothing mm -hmm. going on in there. The doctrine and so, of adverse possession. Is that what that's called? <laughs> Good thing to have a lawyer here. Yeah. Uh, so it actually has a name. Yeah. But um, that very principle um, does take precedence in a lot of cases. So you, you, I think that there is an argument to say that very old contracts written by people 100 and 200 years ago don't have the validity that they would have today because a contract is not simply something written in stone, it is also something that should be acted upon after. And I agree that the big catch in this is that the government prevented the process, of, or the access to the process, mm -hmm. to let people do things. And to the degree that that's the problem, we are culpable. Uh, you know, I agree with David, the one caller, that I'm very uncomfortable about the idea of Canadians owing, today's Canadians owing anybody anything over this. It's, uh, Although we got to keep the loot, we still got everything <laughs> well, from the deal. We uh, have the benefit of it today. Uh, in what sense? Well, the, the, the loot was the land and the natural resources. We've kept all of that. We, we continue to till the land. We continue to, to rip down the trees. We're, we today are taking advantage still of those deals. We haven't given back you know, what we got, and we're continuing to profit from it every day. Well, that's, you're, yeah, you're referring to the lands in dispute. Yes. But not to the lands that are already under Native reservations or no. clearly our title. So, so it's just those lands in dispute you're talking about, which can include everything from downtown Vancouver to, to the boonie docks way out somewhere else. So obviously you're not going to give downtown Vancouver back to the Natives. No, it's I'm, not going to happen of because of that principle you talked about. Yeah. So something has to be renegotiated. Um, again, I, I don't think anything's going to resolve the Native situation in terms of their 
their lifestyle in terms of having it look anything equal to ours as long as they're sitting on that reservation system, which uh, another thing, you know, talk about self-government, the way you described it as um, municipal type of government, that, that doesn't bother me so much, but that's not what I've been hearing coming out of the, out of the Native uh, leaders, at least for quite a period in the past. They're talking about having a different set of laws entirely mm -hmm. on their own reservation. Oh, we do. And, London's uh, got totally different laws than Cambridge or Niagara Falls. Yeah, but but we're talking key laws uh, about you know very very functional things. Like for example, doesn't matter whether you go to London, Toronto, Ottawa, murder is illegal, stealing is illegal. Yes, yeah, but there's been no suggestion that they would that they would not continue to be illegal in in, in native enclaves. Well, either. there they, are certain rights that the, that some people have suggested would not exist. For example, perhaps native women wouldn't have the same rights on a on a reservation as they would here because of a different culture. Again, and, yet there, and yet there are some elements to Native culture where w women are revered perhaps right. more than in our well, culture, too. Is that, does that make it more virtuous, or is that, that, is that the other side of the coin? Well, no, I'm, just, I'm just suggesting that I, I'm not sure that that isn't a bit of a red herring, the idea that women might be disadvantaged, because my understanding of Native culture, that is in many, many cultures, the women not only are not disadvantaged, but have a, have a, a you know, uh, a place equal to or above that of them, and not in all of them, certainly. Well, a lot of people would argue that about our culture. Well, We'd say yeah, the same thing, yeah. and I've heard it argued. Yes. So. So you're right, it's a, it's a small point, but it's just an example of the kinds of things that different laws, for example, in Quebec, the French, you know, you can't put an English sign on mm -hmm. your store and you can go to jail for that. Would we tolerate something like that? That kind of a thinking, you know, where, where a fundamental right of an individual to those fundamental freedoms, freedom of association, speech, you know, all that stuff. If, are we going to tolerate those kinds of laws that take away those fundamental freedoms? But would, under, there, be a, would there be a problem? Would there be a problem if that self-government uh, uh, operated within these parameters that it said to members of the band, here's the scoop, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we think we have consensus here. If you don't like it, if you don't want to be part of it, uh, we will pay you out your share of your membership in the band and you can live somewhere else. Well, you're, you're talking about people consenting to a certain communal type of living under a certain set of rules. Yeah. Well, that's, I have no problem with that, as long as you can be assured that there's some access for them to go to in terms of recourse if they feel an injustice has been done to them. They shouldn't be isolated, like you shouldn't have an isolated police system or an isolated whatever. It should all be part of a greater system. Jeff, I want to come back to this, this uh, concept of adverse possession. Do you think that we would be better off in all of these negotiations if the government just came right out at some point and said, listen, um, people are upset, for example, land claims on, against Sarnia in Toronto. People are upset about this. People don't understand what it is. Uh, for once and for all right now, this is crap. It's off the table. We're not even going to talk about it. We're going to invoke adverse possession or some other legal term. Right now, stop it today. No more talk of this. We acknowledge we have some problems here. We acknowledge we've got to work out some stuff. But in those cases, it's not even on the table. It's not in the headlines anymore. Let's get on and be real about it. W would you think I'd be a step forward? Well, I think it would be. <coughs> it would have a lot of appeal for both sides. Although I, I expect that the reason it doesn't happen is tactical. And that is that each side is trying to to get a negotiating advantage. Um, the government could say that, and, and they can say it in different ways. But they could say, look, you know, we want to talk to you about claims, and we'll talk about the basis of the claims. But let's not actually file have you filing statements of claim in the court claiming Sarnia, for instance. Uh, on the other hand, though, like I'm aware that with the Sarnia claim, the lawyer for the natives is Earl Cherniak. Uh, he's widely regarded to be the best lawyer in Canada, extremely smart guy, extremely tough negotiator, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, so he would decide whether he liked the sound of that or not, uh, and make exact a concession in exchange for that. I don't mm -hmm. know. Uh, you know, and a reality of negotiation is that sometimes chaos serves your interests. Sometimes it turns up the heat. 
you know, and gets get the other yeah. side going. Yeah. And particularly with governments, you know, that's nothing gets their attention like a crisis. Um, so, tactically, uh, the natives may find it advantageous to do these things, although I, I'm personally very sympathetic to the people who live in disputed areas who say, oh, Ben Veal, for instance, yeah. uh, somebody who uh, I disagree with on just about everything he's ever said, uh, but, you know, in the, in the context of his cottage, you know, he's in a tough spot, no question about mm -hmm. it, and if there was a way that we could have negotiations going on that say, look, it, nominally this was the reason that you have a claim because this was disputed land whoever but let's not talk about the actual land um, because it's upsetting a lot of people now realistically ben is never going to lose his cottage realistically the government's never going to negotiate away the right of private citizens but ben would make the case he's already lost his pro his cottage because his cottage is without value yes and i and i agree and then uh, say i'm sympathetic to that and, and i don't that, know what and the that solution just shows is. the contract quagmire we're into because ben's got a contract too he's got yes. ownership of his house you know and if and if and if these contracts are valid that invalidates a whole bunch, and you'll have a whole bunch of more but claims. on the other hand, different the people. government could certainly be doing more about that than they have well, been yeah, doing they, what you've they, just suggested yeah. and saying, we'll negotiate this, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, but let's work out an agreement, even if it costs something, that Ben's cottage is not an issue. Ben will keep his cottage no matter what. Or the government could guarantee it one way or another and say, they could send a letter to Ben saying, we guarantee your cottage will never be taken away. Or they could send him a check and say, here's the money sure. for your cottage, and yeah. sorry about the inconvenience. taxes right now is another thing. Yeah. There's, there, there's all kinds of ways of dealing with that. And I, and I agree that I think that causes a lot of antagonism. It sounds like either way it's solved. The hook's on all of us here. We're all going to end up paying for this something, but, aren't we? Well, again, but we're still using the land. We still get the profit from it. But I think that the, the thing that strikes me most about Native issues is that at the end of the day, I think everybody wants to do what's fair. It's a question of how you perceive fairness to, to operate. People who, who see the Natives as getting a good deal because they don't pay taxes and they don't, uh, whatever the other differences are, uh, you know, that there is this money going to them, say, that's unfair. You know, people who look at it uh, from my perspective say, well, we, we've done them some wrong, we've got to make up for it, so we're doing these things, but it's not enough. That's not fair. Uh, and it, it's striking to me how we all want the same thing. we just got to find a way to achieve that. We'll be back in a moment with more in our discussion on Left, Right, and Center with... Well, I'm not sure that we resolved anything today, but then again, resolution isn't necessarily our goal on this part of the program. We do like to discuss the issues and try to get some different thoughts out for you. Uh, we have been talking, in case you're just joining us, in which case you're about three hours late, and where's your note? Um, we've been talking about gathering strength, which was the full-page ad in a number of Canadian papers today put by... Uh, the federal government. Gathering Strength is Canada's Aboriginal Action Plan designed, and I'm quoting, to renew its relationship with Aboriginal people in Canada. That's the federal government's relationship. The spirit behind the plan is one of reconciliation, healing, and renewal, it says. And its aim is to build a joint plan for the future between Aboriginal people and the federal government. Whether or not that will work remains to be seen. Guys, I'm going to ask you for just a closing 30-second thought. Uh, Jeffrey, will we go to you? Uh, yeah, that from my end of it, uh, I think it's a step in the right direction, albeit that it's cynicism about the language and stuff, that uh, Phil Fontaine seems to be a much more accommodating guy than Ovid Mercury. Uh, Jane Stewart, the minister, is a very smart person, and I hope they can, uh, they can go somewhere with this. Robert? I, I I don't have the faith in it that, that Jeff does, but um, you know it, it's it's to me I still think it's a bit of a slap in the face to the native community. I really don't think it's going to bring about all that much agreement. But surprisingly, it brought a little bit of agreement between me and Jeff. So I guess that's worth yeah. the cost of the ad right there. Some hope for the future. It's <laughs> a good side. Join us again next Wednesday for the next edition of Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. On tomorrow's edition of Talk of the Town, we have a provincial cabinet minister who's been sent here directly by Premier Harris to find out what you want the province to do next. In hour two, we've got two doctors who are very uh, uh, outspoken and involved in the changes to London's medical model. What's going to happen there? We'll find
find out from them. And we've got an author who thinks basically if we just turn everything over to the left-wing politicians, we'll all live in paradise. Don't miss that part of the program, too. It's all coming up on the next Talk of the Town. Meanwhile, for Jeff and Bob and Ryan and Tara and Deacon, too, it's Jim Chapman saying take care of each other, mind how you go, and we'll see you tomorrow for the next Talk of the Town.